dedicated to the DC Arrowverse on the CW network. It saved this city. A Flash and Arrow podcast. And now here's your host, Matt Murdick. Welcome back to Save This City Podcast, or if it's your first time, welcome to the Save This City Podcast, a Flash and Arrow podcast. Also, typically, just kind of a Berlanti DC television universe podcast because we cover a lot of things, and it's some of the other things that we're covering on this particular show where we're looking at uh, Season 1, Episode 2 of Legends of Tomorrow and Episodes 11 and 12 of Season 1 of Supergirl. My name is Matt Murdick, and I am from SaveThisCityPodcast.wordpress.com. That's your one-stop shop for all things this podcast, like the back episodes in either downloadable or streaming form. You can also find our social media links and our contact links, as well as podcatcher links. And if you could take the time to leave me a review on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever podcatcher app you use, I would very much appreciate it. It will help me stay more noticeable. And uh, if I can, I'll, I'll even throw in a shout out to you uh, during one of the casts, if you do so. Uh, as I said, this one, we are concentrating mostly on the Legends of Tomorrow and Supergirl, which are kind of the ancillary, uh, I guess, shows, the kind of the branch off shows uh, that have come out this year, as opposed to the main two shows that we cover I also sometimes have guests like Camille and Donald on. Camille from the Simon's Cake podcast and and Donald from Podcast Littlefeld. They're not with me today. They probably won't be with me too often for especially the Legends and the Supergirl podcast because I don't even know if Camille is watching either of these yet. Um, But I am happy to talk about them. Well, uh, I'm happy to let you hear my unhappiness about some of it at any rate. But I also want to hear what you think about these shows um, or about Flash and Arrow. And you can do so by sending an email to SaveThisCityPodcast at gmail.com or you can tweet at SaveThisCityPod or you can leave a voicemail on our call-in line, which is area code 314-669-1840. And when you hear the message, you might say, well, he doesn't say Save the City podcast in the voicemail intro. Well, uh, that's because I use this line for more than one podcast. So just say you're leaving your thoughts about whatever show you're talking about, Flash, Arrow, what have you. And then I'll be able to direct it to the proper podcast. And I'll even play your thoughts on the podcast itself and respond in that way. That's it for the podcast. Let's get into talking about this. I I guess uh, we should talk about Legends first because it's most predominantly on my mind. And I do want to say this before I get started. I want to make sure that you've watched the second episode, uh, Pilot Part 2. That's what we're going to be covering right here. Um, Pilot Part 2, written by all of the showrunners. Again, Greg Berlanti, Mark Guggenheim, Andrew Kreisberg, and Phil Klemmer. And it was directed by Glenn Winter. It really was just, I think they did one pilot and then just split it up into two episodes because of the CW's uh, schedule or what have you. Uh, But I do want to make sure that you've seen 
the second episode because uh, some of the stuff that happens in it, you will be spoiled, <laughs> especially if you're thinking about who these characters are about or who this show is about, the characters that this show is about. Um, not, minus one. There is one less. So this is your last chance to bail out if you haven't seen the episode yet. Go and watch it and then come back. I'll still be here. Okay. Whoa. They killed Khufu. They killed Carter. No more Hawkman. And Kendra's even, like, severely injured. Uh, or now it seems like her memories are uh, have completely come back. So should we call her Shayara? I mean, she seems like she remembered everything. She was uh, really um, upset uh, how she was remembering everything about Khufu uh, right after Khufu died. So I did not expect that. I... Uh, Will they have him come back in some other way? Will they have her seek out the same way he seeked her out in the Flash and Arrow crossover? Um, I don't know. I don't know if that means that that's it for that actor in the show or, or what. I guess we will have to wait till this week and, and see or maybe even till the end of this particular season. I have no idea. I haven't looked ahead at any IMDB things or anything to see who's cast in what episodes trying to stay spoiler free in that way. But I was just absolutely shocked um, that they had a, a death like that. Hawkman was probably the only really Hawkman and Hawkgirl are the only two characters from comics that I'm really familiar with. And that's mainly due to Smallville because they were brought up in Smallville as well. So I, uh, I have a, I had a hard time dealing with that. It was very shocking. That was a good twist I mean, it, it makes sense when you equate the fact that um, Savage killed them 4,000 years ago with this love poem inscribed dagger uh, and couple it with the strange powers from a, a meteor shower that they would all three be in, tied together through infinity. Um, yeah, sure it does. But uh, I mean, oh, well, uh, it still makes for an epic story. And I should have known since I spent so much time with Khufu and and are exploring their past and coming to some kind of like love agreement in the present that one of them was going to die. But I, sh I sure didn't see it coming. I, I was sufficiently shocked by all of it. Now, on the other hand, all of this setup that was spent on the Flash and Arrow crossover seemed kind of a little pointless, at least as far as Khufu is concerned. Um, still, I, I did manage to get in, invested enough in Khufu for, like I said, for this to hurt a little bit. The thing that I keep wondering, though, is since they are in a time ship, it, it, see, it seems likely anyway, uh, or that she's fully awakened now, um, could they go to some other time in the future and pick up the next incarnation of Khufu? Um, I'm guessing that since she is now, if she is fully informed and has her full memory, she would recognize him the same way that he knew who she was in the Flash and Arrow crossover, right? Um, on the other hand, then I have the question, do both of them have to die for the whole reincarnation thing to reset? Is Khufu in just some kind of limbo and can't be found um, by her current incarnation of Shayara? One thing that we do know in regard to that battle sequence with Vandal Savage is that he is in love with Shayara. So part of his price for the immortality is the fact that 
every time he has to kill the one person that he loves. I mean, now he's done it like, what, 200 some odd times. So it's probably a little easier for him to go through those motions than it was, let's say, like the second or the third time. Um, but I don't know when I was watching this and, and when he was starting to stab her, um, there might have been a slight bit of pain in Savage's voice, maybe just a little. Um, and maybe that's the only other emotion that we've seen out of Savage so far, other than like hatred and anger. And another huge question that you have to ask is, is Vandal Savage actually the only immortal? I mean, the one thing that's tied into all of these series, or at least to the Arrow series, that really got me was the fact that Damien Dark was there in the 70s, seemingly unaged, younger or older. I mean, he isn't any, doesn't seem to be any younger there or any older um, than he is in the present Arrow day. But he's at this auction for the nuclear weapon. I mean, I suppose that's one way to kind of win over audiences from the other shows with like constant crossover appearances. But I I have no idea, you know, how the fact that we know this now in this show, how that affects the way we're supposed to look at the Arrow storyline yet. Um, I guess we did get a hint in the Arrow storyline that Damien was hard to kill because of the... um, explosion that didn't kill him but he said a little phrase i thought that had more to do with magic but this seems to imply that the magic is about immortality is it that every time he's about to die he says some little phrase and that keeps him alive um could that be a weakness that could possibly be exploited by the arrow team it just it sends me off just the fact that he appeared in this at this time in the 70s it sent me off on a whole bunch of tangents uh, just thinking about the Arrow storyline, uh, which is one of the things that made me really excited about this episode. And I do like how all three of the storylines are more or less moving towards a, a singular objective in this particular episode, because you had Khufu and, and Shara trying to figure out about the dagger. You had Cole and Heatwave and Adam trying to get the dagger. Uh, and you had Stein, Sarah, and Jax trying to track down Adam's tech, which kind of sent the whole thing in motion in terms of uh, having to face off with them again now. Um, All of that stemmed from that nuclear warhead stuff at the beginning. Um, But I guess I'll talk about Stein first. So far in the series, it seems that Jax and Stein are kind of the more overt moral of the story, quote, kind of characters. In this case, they were exploring Stein's arrogance versus his brilliance, I suppose. And the in-talk about young Stein between Jax and old Stein was really kind of heavy-handed to my taste. But I guess I'll let it slide because I actually did, for the most of the stuff leading up to it, I I found most of that pretty entertaining. There is one thing I'm confused about it, though, uh, because I always have time travel issues. Why does old Stein try to stop himself from doing things he would clearly remember doing from his own past? That doesn't make any sense. And if if young Stein had taken his suggestions, is it possible old Stein could have altered his own timeline because of that? On top of that, and, and again, this is some of the stuff that I just never understand about time travel. When the ring disappears off of Stein's hand, that's an 
actual effect of the old Stein having interacted with the young Stein. So in that moment, shouldn't the old Stein himself, I mean, shouldn't he be affected by his own time traveling? Wouldn't he remember that as a young man he had seen a time ship? And should he still have that memory and remember it from this point on in young Stein's life that he had seen this? I mean, forget that Rip got Stein and his wife back together. Um, It's the fact that you would think old Stein's memories would be filled with the younger version of himself now that he's affected his own timeline. I don't understand how any of that works. So that's kind of my time travel confusion nitpick for the week, I guess. Uh, time, like I said, time travel scrambles my brain. I've never understood it. So if you have a way to explain this to me, please feel free to send an email uh, to save the city podcast at gmail.com or to, uh, or tweet at save the city pod or call three, one, four, six, six, nine, one, eight, four, zero and straighten me out. Cause this is the kind of stuff that I just feel dumb about. Um, at any rate, the other side of it is is just the acting part of it. And I thought that the young actor did a pretty good job of acting like a younger version of Stein. Uh, and I thought Sarah was pretty entertaining in some of those interactions, too. And I hadn't even really talked about the, everything that set it all in motion. The the whole battle sequence at the beginning during the, the nuclear uh, warhead auction... Some of those shots were really cool. I mean, the the kind of this camera just sweeping back and forth, and you see all the team members in different places fighting. I don't understand why the radiation from the blast, though, once he takes the warhead away, why that doesn't kill Firestorm, or at very least affect Jax, um, or doesn't kill, you know, and, and soak him up with radiation personally. I mean, maybe I just don't understand the Firestorm character. Uh, when those two are joined, once they separate again, is anything that happened to Firestorm doesn't affect them psychologically or, or physiologically? Is that what we're supposed to get from that? Um, because you would think that Jax's body would just be filled with radiation uh, from absorbing a nuclear blast, Right. <laughs> and, and then if he's filled with radiation, doesn't he give everybody else radiation sickness? Um, anyway, another kind of little nitpick, I guess. Katie Lott's doing the Sarah thing. It's, she's darn good with her weapons. I, I mean, I, the, the, the actress has, has gotten really good at, at handling all those weapons and everything. I wouldn't want to piss uh, uh, Sarah Lance or the uh, Katie Lott's off, given what they can do with those pipes and stuff. But I don't know. It doesn't feel like she really has a place yet in the story other than just being action girl. As for Ray, though, when he loses his tech, then the episode kind of turns to becoming much more about battling potential timeline changes than actually battling Savage to me, which is kind of contradictory in its own way at least as far as the conception of the show is, they're, they're trying to change time. They're trying to eliminate Savage to tame, change time, but they don't want to change everything else about time. They want it to all be as close as it possibly can be, except for the fact that Vandal Savage is not there. But I kind of get this feeling that taking Savage out would, would be a major change to things globally. 
Um, and not just in a negative way. Um, it might have some positive connotations as well. I mean, maybe certain advances in science never happen unless Savage whispers something into a dictator's ear rather than all, you know, I mean, maybe it doesn't all just result in war. Just saying. But what that does lead to is, is like the Ray cold heat wave stuff, which was pretty comical element of the show. Um, no matter how badass Snart and, and Rory can be, it, it still offers some com- comedic moments. And there were a few nice moments in there, too. And, and I do love that we're going to see Snart and, and Rory um, try to rob every once in a while. They haven't forgotten what their goal is. Um, you got to keep the, a little bit of bad in the bad guys for all of this to be fun. And it has to kind of be a, a, a counterbalance to all these noble thoughts that everyone around them are, are throwing out there. Um, even though it is Snart who, uh, at the end, you know, is all in for killing Savage just, you know, for Carter or whatever. And that I guess that kind of brings me to the last part of the episode. Um, some of it was a little bit too Saturday morning cartoon for me. I mean, if you're into that kind of thing, then I understand. But I, I don't need a vote at the end of every single episode and a united stance against darkness every episode either. I'll give Rip this much credit, though. He's he's quietly keeping everyone's timeline clean thus far. He's a true time manager, especially with, like, the Stein thing. And he says that they can't leave the year, right, until, uh, I guess, Kendra or Shara is uh, better. But they're off to somewhere on the planet, and I guess we'll have to see uh, where that is this particular week coming up. All in all, I guess... As a second half to a pilot, it it was pretty good. Given the previously and like the typical Berlanti monologue introduction that, that Rip says, it's clear that they had to prepare this episode for a second week. But I can't help but feel like it was still supposed to be all just one episode. And then the CW said, no, we're going to air one hour of it and another hour of it. Prepare it a por- uh, you know, accordingly. Find a good split point. Put an introduction. You know, that kind of thing like you will every other episode. Uh, But I still have to kind of look at this as just one big pilot. And I guess for as a singular pilot episode, um, I'll give the whole thing overall like about an 8.4. I I feel like this week's drug it down uh, quite a bit. It it didn't seem nearly as uh, engaging to me, despite the shock of, of Khufu. Uh, and Damien Dark. Those were really the only two things that I really found interesting in this particular episode. And so that's my thoughts about Legends. Let's move on to talking about Supergirl now. And we'll start with Supergirl Season 1, Episode 11, Strange Visitor from Another Planet. And that one was written by Michael Grassi and Caitlin Parrish and uh, directed by Glenn Winter. Busy guy. Yeah. These guys are probably having to go between Vancouver and L.A. a lot if they're doing Supergirl and other uh, the CW shows. So my first thought about this episode is poor Cat. I mean, I, I love seeing the side of her that doesn't know how to handle things. Seeing as how good she is seemingly at having a handle on everything professionally, her personal life is just a mess. And the stuff with... 
Adam coming to town, the bit about the letter, uh, Kara having to patch things up between them after their first disastrous dinner. That stuff was gold to me. I mean, that that's good family TV stuff that makes you feel for everyone involved without betraying Kat's character at all. Uh, and I loved it. And I loved Kat in this episode right down until we get around to the whole date thing. And then Kat seemingly approves a little bit too much. We can talk a lot more about that when we talk about episode 12, too. But the, this date thing, which Alex, of course, called at the very beginning um, and was painfully obvious to the viewers. And then they have Kara be so um, oblivious to it. That was a little annoying. And I can only imagine that with all of the love triangle, rectangle stuff that we've had going on so far, that there must have been a collective groan of millions of voices when Adam did ask her out. Right after it seemed like Wynn was on the cusp of coming around. I mean, come on. I mean, now what we have is, is a love pentagon. And I, I, I just want to say, can we stop already? Um, and again, I'll go into more of that on the uh, episode 12. I guess the one good thing about it is that while the show is still amping up the love mandate for CBS, the CW mandate for the other three shows seems to have gone down, diminished a little bit. Maybe they're just throwing it all at the CBS show now so they don't have to deal with it. Um, that's about the only positive that I can see about all this love shit. So... I'm just so done with it. And even like uh, our buddy Tip from the Earth's Mightiest Podcast, he tweeted to me that Supergirl has taken the CW mandate of the love triangle a step further over on CBS with the love rectangle. And once again, I say, no, love pentagram. Uh, pentagram. It is as evil as a pentagram. Uh, sorry, love uh, pentagon. That's the word I was looking for. Pentagram, pentagon. You take your choice. And and because of that, I, I have to say that I would have enjoyed this episode a whole lot more if they had just made the Adam thing about him and Kat. That was perfect. That was compelling. That was fantastic stuff. The, the one thing that almost, and I, and I emphasize the word almost, made everything okay was Kara's conversations with Alex at the beginning and at the end of the episode about Adam. I'm kind of a fangirl, but I, I love those little heart-to-hearts. Um, that Kara and Alex have as sisters, um, like at the cafe when she first met Adam or uh, at the end when they were talking about the date. Um, that's kind of a different aspect to the superhero stuff, the, the girls talking on the couch thing. Uh, I, I actually kind of dig that. Um, and I that just that sisterly kind of thing, uh, which I haven't seen in too many television shows because I typically don't watch those kind of television shows. It seems like if I'm going to watch Supergirl that I'm going to have to get used to that a little more, though. And the A storyline is, of course, Hank's mortal enemies are now on the planet, or at least one of them is. By episodes in, you know that there's a lot more of them where this one came from. And as destructive as, as this one is, uh, I can't see that being very good for Earth at all if if they decide to invade now, the first Senator switch was a nice surprise for me. I should have figured it out, but I didn't. 
I was definitely on it though on the second time. Um, I think doing the switch twice was pushing the envelope a little bit too much because I'm sure everybody called it. And maybe that was to reward fans for saying, ha fool me once. Um, but, uh, otherwise it just seemed overplayed a little bit too. Now the Mars flashbacks and Hank's story about what happened to the green Martians and his family and all of that, that stuff was gold too. I mean, that got me, you all know I'm a sap. So whenever you got nice music playing underneath and a guy telling a sad story, uh, as long as it's not about who they're in love with, who's in love with someone else, then I am all in. Uh, and I thought that David Harewood was just great. And I also thought that Shyler Lee did fantastic. I, I love the Alex Hank stuff. Um, that's become really good over the last couple of episodes, ever since she found out that he was John Jones. And on that note, you wish that John would listen to Alex about honor. I mean, Alex has, is just a great character in this episode. She's fast becoming my favorite character in the series. Usually it's Cat. Um, but after episode 12, I'm not so sure we can talk more about that in a minute. Um, but here, I mean, she definitely was neck and neck, uh, with Kat in this particular episode. And I even liked, uh, Kara's talks with John Jones too. Um, they were a little more that kind of moral of the story stuff, uh, which I'm not a big fan of, but I do understand that it has its place in a superhero show and probably it ought to be your superhero that says it from time to time. The moral of the story stuff, like in the Legends episode, which I talk about, bothered me a little more uh, because it seemed a little bit forced or overdone, where Kara's here uh, seemed right on par, especially when you consider that it's the Supergirl franchise. That's kind of expected from that franchise as opposed to the Legends, which has a little bit more license to go away from that stuff, I would hope. Anyway, the moral of the story stuff works better in Supergirl. Uh, because that's where I feel like it fits. And I love the the end for Hank in this episode where he, he likened uh, Kara and Alex uh, to being like daughters and then walked off. I mean, all of that stuff was really cliche if you're into that kind of thing. And, and grimacingly overdone, if not. Um, I, I, I do want to give credit to the actress who played the senator, and I can't remember her name now, uh, the senator slash white Martian. Um, she was badass and really tough and really intimidating and very scary. She did a great job uh, with that role. And then at the end, which will lead into uh, our look at episode 12, we get the Supergirl doppelganger. And even, you know, it's easy to say now, but even last week uh, when I first saw that episode, I knew right off the bat that it had to do with the the red tornado arm and um, with the, the girl, uh, it, there was just no way not to think that it was about Lords and, and sure enough, it's come to fruition. Um, before we get into that though, let's rate this episode. I love the, the loss of family theme, the different aspects of that between Hank and cat. Um, it was a nice thematic kind of flow, uh, to go through. And I really, really loved Alex in this episode. Uh, I like the action sequences. I really, really hate that we introduced yet another iron into the fire, even if only temporarily, for Kara's love story. I mean, too much is just too much. Um, so I have to say that 
if that hadn't been in there, this episode would have easily been a great episode, an 8.5 to an 8.7. Instead, I can barely, barely uh, give it an 8, maybe even a 7.9. I think 7.9 is, is more fair. I don't think it quite deserves an 8, uh, simply for the fact that there's just too much of this love, you know, multi-tagonal crap going on. And with that, uh, why don't we get into the the final Supergirl episode that I'll talk about today, Bizarro, which was written by Roberto Aguirre-Sacasa and Rachel Schuchert and directed by John F. Showalter. And I can tell you my talk here is going to be pretty short about this episode because, cool, the Bizarro Maxwell Lord stuff finally comes to fruition, which everybody saw that writing on the wall. And now I guess they have somewhat of a temporary solution for it. And even though I, I felt a little bit of empathy for the Bizarro character in the end because of the fact that she was a victim of Lord the whole time, uh, and she's been essentially kidnapped while she was in a coma and then created, changed, ma- and manipulated by him. But overall, the plot was pretty disappointing to me because of all of the love crap. And while I did love Alex in this episode, it was just that there was so much cheesy, again, love Pentagon crap that's all around Kara. I I just couldn't get interested in the main Bizarro storyline and Alex's involvement, even with Max Lord in this. I mean, the problem is, is that it keeps seemingly defeating character for the sake of creating some kind of unrealistic love stuff. It's it's just got to stop. I mean, the guy that plays Adam, he's obviously only available for a couple episodes. And they, so why did they have to use that character that way? If it's just going to go away like that again? Because it didn't make me feel any pain for Kara uh, when she said she couldn't see him anymore. It didn't even seem like a sacrifice. And then you have James's admission of love to this complete stranger in Bizarro. That was odd, definitely uncalled for. And here here you have Wynn, who up until this episode really wouldn't even talk to Kara uh, because he's in the friend zone. And then suddenly he's giving James advice to keep James out of the friend zone and break James and Lucy up. I mean, it's, it's utterly ridiculous what these characters are doing to each other uh, and to themselves. And it makes no sense. Don't forget that Lucy's still out there hanging in the wind while James is exploring his feelings. I mean, it's just absolutely ridiculous. And there's no resolution in sight. I mean, okay, yeah, Cara kind of dumped Adam, well, after two dates. Um, I guess she just wouldn't even let anything really start. Um, But they tried to treat it like it was a relationship that had been going on for months, and that didn't work for me. And don't forget, you know, they can always bring Adam back to to stir up the pot again if they want to, because it seems like that that's all they want to do is stir up this pot. But the thing that really pissed me off about it, this particular episode, was the effect that it had on the relationship between Kara and Cat Grant. And while I still think Callista Flockhart is a godsend to this show and, and she makes some of the absolutely absurd stuff that her character is given the best that it possibly can be. 
I'm frustrated that her talents are being wasted on crap like this. There is no reason to think that Kara's relationship with Adam should affect Kat in either way that it did in this episode or to either extreme that it did. She, in one extreme, she was showing more favor than usual to Kara. And, and in the other extreme, she shuts her out completely. I mean, as I said, it was two dates. That's all. The cat grant that the show and Callista Flockhart have established to this point would never react to such extremes. She may be thoughtful about it. She may talk about it. She may even be arrogant about it, but not to these extremes that they had her character do. It was almost like she had become a caricature just to show, uh, to emphasize a feeling that we're supposed to feel about Kara and Adam's relationship. It was so, so frustrating. And as far as the Maxwell Lord stuff goes, I, I guess you could say, well, boy, he's a lot more evil than we thought. I, I guess they've slowly kind of ramped him up, but the, then it was like he just jumped into the deep end of the pool here. Um, and then they take him down quite easily and quite quickly. Um, I'm guessing that he won't stay there too long. Uh, kind of like Henshaw slash John Jones said, it's it more or less, it's not like he won't be noticed once he's been missing for a while. I have to say though, that I did get some real satisfaction out of seeing Alex take him down. And Alex was really the only bright spot in the episode for me. And even though I've been complaining about the love Pentagon crap, I, I still feel like that um, when Kara was like, oh, I have to cancel my date with Adam now, uh, she at least offered some good advice to Kara, some life advice in the fact that you have to, you know, you have to make time for other people to make yourself happy. Otherwise, you, you'll never be happy. Um, I thought that was good. And her sticking up for protecting Kara uh, from both Maxwell Lord and Bizarro. I thought that was great. She even had to stand up to Hank a little bit. That was a nice moment, I thought. But there's a lot of things about this whole story that's just left in the wind. Has anybody figured out that if he's got the genome mapped, that he can just do it again once he gets backed out? Is anybody going to go look for that uh, red tornado arm? Uh, why not? Why didn't he grab it uh, while he was there before? Is anyone uh, even going to bother to, to check for security cameras that Lord has been monitoring Alex and Kara with? Uh, there's just too much up in the air stuff that doesn't have to be up in the air and all for the sake of giving us yet another facet to a love story that we don't care about. They could have taken more time and put more emphasis on the Bizarro character and how she works, and worked more on on the Maxwell Lord side of it. Instead, they opted to do this. And hopefully it's to get some of it out of the way, but it seems like to me it was just to stir the pot up even more. Uh, and all in all, I just can't give this episode much more than a 6.4. Uh, and I feel like that that's being super generous. Um, there's just too much lovey-dovey bullshit in this episode that not only pulls down the story... But it pulls down character, integrity, and consistency. And it's certainly too overbearing uh, to make the Bizarro stuff mean as much as it could have or should have. Just too much silly and not enough super. So, 6.4. And that's going to do it. Uh, I hate to end things on such a negative note. Hopefully, 
when we come back, uh, probably on Friday, we'll have some positives to talk about with the Flash and Arrow episodes. In the meantime, remember, save this city podcast at gmail.com or at save this city pod on Twitter or 314-669-1840. Thanks for listening and hope to hear from you. Take care. This is Matt. Bye. Find all back episodes and all contact links at savethiscitypodcast.wordpress.com. If you have feedback, you can leave a voicemail by calling 314-669-1840 or send email to savethiscitypodcast at gmail.com or tweet us at savethiscitypod. Please leave the podcast a written review on whatever app that you use.